You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are on the Alto Oya de la Mora. Hello, buenas tardes from La Vuelta a España. My name is Daniel Freiber. I am the host of tonight's episode. And despite what you heard our friend Rob Hatch just say, I am, or did he say that I was on the Sierra Nevada? Or did he use one of the other names for the climb? I must confess, I'm not sure, but I'm, I am on the Sierra Nevada, or I'm in the Sierra Nevada, the mountain range where just a couple of kilometers, three or four kilometers below the summit where all the action happened today. And it was another good stage, another intriguing stage. Yesterday, I sort of prophesized the downfall of Remco Avenapol. Didn't happen. And we were looking for a prophet to tonight. Someone who's famed for his predictions, the reverse <laughs> Nostradamus. Um, I think you probably already guessed who it is. So joining me from Pietra Santa in Tuscany is the former Leopard Trek team manager, Team CSC, Team Sky, Orico Green Edge communications manager, now Bon Vivant, wine industry, savant, bike racing connoisseur, the fanciest Dan on the cycling podcast roster, a man so sophisticated the Italians have let him stay and luxuriate in their top tax bracket. He's stylish, he's opinionated, he hates, sorry, he, um, he, he's re- relatively lukewarm about <laughs> Remco Evenable. Um, he doesn't think he's going to win the Vuelta. It's our great Dane, Brian Nygaard. How are I'm you, I'm good, Brian? but my CV is getting longer than the, the time trial. Oh, <laughs> I know. Like, I need to time you on this one now. It's getting longer and longer. But thank you. I'm, I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you. Larry's was very long as well last night. Did you notice... Um, I hope you've listened to last night's podcast. Did you realize that you are starting to have an effect on all of the podcast members, yeah, podcast he, guests, he, by he, some, he, kind of, <laughs> some kind of osmosis? He's in, he's in La Mora or was, he'll be selling. Yes. Yeah, a place that you and I, that you and I visited uh, at the Giro. We actually stayed there for the night, didn't we? Just like him. It's becoming a rite of passage for um, the cycling podcast, members, guests, hosts. I love it. Brian... How are you, mate? Anyway, I saw that you were relaxing there on your lovely sunny terrace in Pietra Santa in Tuscany with a nice glass of something. What are you drinking? Yeah, I'm drinking my own Chenin Blanc once again. I opened the bottle last night. I have to have to say, uh, so I'm just I'm just polishing off the remains uh, here on my own. And how is it? It's it's good. What would, what would you give it a Robert Parker rating out of a hundred? I would say it's a ninety-three, maybe. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure Parker would like it because he, he likes you know his oak, a lot of alcohol, late harvested stuff, you know, high sugar levels. Uh, and I'm I'm on the other end of the scale, <laughs> like early harvest, low alcohol, hardly any uh, new oak. So, yeah. But I think he would sort of like give it a ninety-three just for the effort because I really put in a lot of energy and money. So, yeah, maybe a few be a few points for that sympathy points. I'm sure the word Brian, with that is the end of tonight's wine chat, or at least for the first part, at least for the first part of the first part. And um, Brian, let's get back to the cycling, because it was a good stage. It was a big stage. It was a hotly anticipated stage. Um, I think a lot of people thought that today might even decide the Vuelta a España. Let's find out, shall we, if it did. Let's go to our resumen de la etapa a contrarreloj, the stage summary time trial. Take it away, Rob Hatch. El resumen del día a contrarreloj. The stage summary time trial. Brian, are you primed? Are you prepared? Are you motivated? Are you ready to roll down that road? Absolutely. I'm definitely ready to roll down. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, Brian Nygaard, our great day. You have 90 seconds. I'm starting stopwatch. Thank you. So today's stage was 152 kilometers from Martos to Sierra Nevada. It included 4,000 meters of climbing. Uh, there was a big, I would say, Echappé Royale uh, at the start of the stage, including very big names, 29 of them, all in all, like Nibali, Jai Hindley, Carapaz, Meinches, Timon Ahrensmann. There was a bit of attacking and there was a bit of sorting out. The group eventually turned into smaller groups. 
whilst uh, Lawson Craddock was attacking Jay Vine going after and those two went alone with 42 to go. In the front group, Jumbo was pulling like there was absolutely no tomorrow. Well, there isn't because it's rest day. And uh, up in front, Soler was the first guy to attack in the front group. Uh, yeah, Basically, Roglic was uh, putting very hard tempo from early on, but Remco eventually had a teammate drop down. A lot of other guys were scrambling a little bit at the foot at the bottom of the Nevada, but eventually, eventually, most of them sort of found their level coming back a little bit. In the front group, uh, Superman Lopez was attacking whilst there was uh, a few things happening up in the in the front group. Uh, most importantly, was when Timon Adensman uh, was passing Soler, who was the first from the escape group to attack, and he actually passed him and he headed for the win. Rockless uh, put in a late attack, and Ben O'Connor went with him. Uh, they managed to take a little bit of time out of Roglic, uh, sorry, out of uh, Evenepoel, not much. The two Spanish hopes had... Five seconds left. Uh, the two Spanish hopes, the young ones at least, uh, had a bit of a tough day, but eventually put it back together. Few changes in the, um, in the GC, but only really Ayoso jumping up one spot, Rodriguez going one down. Timon Adensman is back in the top 10 from 11th to 8th. Uh, and that concludes our resume. Uh, I think you were uh, about 13 seconds out of the time limit, Brian, but we will keep you in the podcast. We won't disqualify you. and We'll pretend that you've finished in a big group, a big groupetto, and will therefore be granted well, the courtesy of an extended stay at the Vuelta España. It was an interesting day, wasn't it? And, well, Brian, we know that you have prophesied Remco's downfall. What did you think before today's stage? You probably heard, you probably got the vibe last night that I expected that to possibly happen today. What, what did you think was going to yeah, happen? Yeah, I mean, usually when you see that type of, when, when riders have those problems uh, at, at, you know, when you come into the second or, or the, last, uh, the last week, you think it, it's sort of, it's uh, symptomatic for them being on the downward slope and potentially, if, you know, dropping a level down and, and other people going up a level. And that certainly, it was definitely the case he didn't have the best of days, but it didn't at all today look like he that it was sort of a tendency that he was starting to come apart. He he wasn't. I think he he was definitely pulling a lot. I think he was using a lot of energy. And, and given that, that Roglic was only able to take out that much time, I think that was really impressive. It, I think Roglic underestimated uh, him by attacking so hard at the bottom, basically when there was still 20 kilometers of climbing to go. It shattered a lot of the other GC guys, but they, they eventually bit like Remco, I guess, came back and, and found their own rhythm. And and the differences on the climb was made throughout on the climb and not basically, you know, when you see people from the front, um, from the favorites group dropping back at the last part of the climb. It was everyone really to their, on their own level going up. And, and that, I think that's pretty typical for such a long climb going up into altitude. Well, we're going to analyze the stage and particularly the final climb in more detail in the second part but a few loose ends to to tie up you mentioned Enric Mass having a good day but let's hear a little bit of Enric Mass and I will translate con unas sensaciones increíbles es verdad que hoy de los tres um, Mass said he felt incredible today and he was the best of the, the three, the top three GC guys. But Miguel Angel, that Superman to you and me, he was also up for it and he wanted to win the stage. We had to work together because we both had something to gain. When we saw Marc Soler, we thought, well, I thought we had a chance. Um, yes, it was a tough day for the younger Spaniards, but they're very young and I think Spanish cycling is in great shape. Of course, one of the interesting subplots to today was Superman and Eric Mas being reunited, teammates, of course, in last year's Vuelta a España, until the penultimate day when uh, when Superman had a bit of a tantrum. Yeah, they must have felt they must have um, felt a bit awkward when they were when they sort of had to work together. I guess, yeah, maybe not. Not many words were probably must. shared at that point. No, I must admit, I haven't yet seen the latest instalment of the Movistar documentary in which uh, some of this is cleared up or some of what happened is cleared up and and um, Superman is given a, his right of reply and he talks about that day. Um, something else that caught my eye, Brian, um, a couple of crashes, actually, a couple of notable crashes, a few riders um, I saw coming over the finish line who were a bit battered and bruised with ripped and jerseys and shorts. One rider who managed to stay upright was the Trek rider, um, Antonio Tiberi, the young 
Italian climber who's been tipped by some as a successor to Vincenzo Nibali. He was in that big break today. But his most notable contribution, I think, or most memorable contribution was well, narrowly avoiding a crash. I think it was on the descent of um, the Monachino climb of the El Porche. And I spoke to him at the finish today. So let's hear from Antonio Tiberi about just how he avoided disaster. But the moment when you went off the road yeah. and you seemed to want to explore more of Andalusia, I don't know what <laughs> happened. Yeah, he took the corner too, too fast and too much inside. And after I go, go to the right. And uh, fortunately I don't, I don't crash. And uh, yeah, I also know this, uh, this downhill because I did in the training camp when I was here in... Uh, in Sierra Nevada, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I took uh, all too much inside the corner. It was an impressive piece of bike handling. It was a great save, Gigi Buffon level <laughs> save. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't crest. <laughs> so that's the first football reference of the podcast tonight, and it will probably be the last because football has not treated me, an Arsenal fan, very well this afternoon. Um, it's also contributed to the delay, slight delay. <laughs> recording this podcast this evening um yes and um, brian let's hear from a few other chaps who were uh, had prominent roles today we're in the thick of the action we mentioned primoz roglic regaining some time chris harper his australian domestic had another cracking ride one man who wasn't so happy with his performance or with how he felt today was Sugarman. Sugarman, I'm getting the accents and <laughs> languages all mixed up. Um, Sugarman Rodriguez, Carlos Rodriguez, who is now on in fifth place on German classification. He's five minutes and 16 seconds down now on Remco Evenepoel. So he, he lost a little bit of ground today. And Ben O'Connor, the AG2R rider, who he is up to ninth. Um, eight minutes and 57 seconds down. He had one of his best days of the Vuelta Espana so far. So let's hear from Chris Harper, uh, Sugarman, Carlos Rodriguez and Ben O'Connor. Yeah, I'd say yeah, we raced pretty hard. It was already pretty select before the, uh, before the last final climb. And then, yeah, coming up the final climb, you also save a lot of energy sitting on the wheel, especially, especially how the wind is. So, yeah, it's, uh, the final climb probably isn't an easy one to get away on. So, yeah, the fact that he did get away, so he's uh, going super strong. Uh, I mean, the idea was to, uh, to have uh, a couple of guys in the break, call them back and then uh, set a really hard pace and try and really blow the race up which I think we did a perfect job of. Yeah. I mean he was super super excited yesterday he's uh, starting to feel really good again and yeah he's uh, yeah that's showing in his numbers and that as well so uh, yeah he's really reaching his level and I think he's excited and he's also really motivated to fight and race and yeah I think that makes everyone else want to uh, give a little bit extra and uh, and uh, set him up as best as we can. Well, Carlos, how did you feel out there today? Oh, felt good, although it wasn't my best day. But, yeah, there were stronger riders today. I was lucky to have all, this, all the team supporting me. Without them, I would have lost more time. But, yeah, I'm, I have to be happy. It's my first Grand Tour. I'm being in front. I, I couldn't ask for more. And also... Richie did a super great job. He waited for me and he helped me. I think we had without him I would have cracked. But yeah, super grateful to him and to all the team for all their support. Did you fear at one point that you were losing everything? Well I when we entered the big road I was feeling not very well. And I thought it was going to be a long way to the top. But I focused on my pace, what I could do. And yeah, just try to lose as little time as possible. Yeah, I felt a lot better today. It's kind of down my alley where it's not just a one climb session. It's kind of all day. Well, it's not really all day, but uh, we made it hard. And that was good for me. So yeah, happy today. I was a bit worried to go with Lopez and Mass. And in the end, I didn't lose much. And I think we finished very fast, so hopefully I got a good gap on some other guys. Remco had to ride. I didn't have to ride. I was 10th overall, so yeah. 
walked up to him. I sat there and just waited. And then uh, Primoz went first. I was literally just about to jump. So, uh, yeah, Primoz beat me to it. And he rode full to the finish. And that was my max. Ben, we didn't see the moment when Primoz attacked. Did Remco slow down at all? No, he paced it. He just rode his pace the whole time. Um, and if there's someone to sit behind, he's probably one of the best for it because he is fast. So... The cycling podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens. We're going to hear again from Sam Brand, who rides for the Novo Nordisk team, recently took part in the Tour of Poland and the Commonwealth Games for the Isle of Man. Sam is a type 1 diabetic, and so he has been monitoring the way his body responds to certain types and amounts of food because his health frankly depends upon it but as he says we're all experienced based souls and we can all learn a bit more about how our body responds to racing training resting and stress every athlete every human being you know we'll we're experience-based souls shall we say but uh you know every every piece of everything i do every single day is all built on experience so um, I don't want to try something new in a race. It's all about using the experience that I've created, the wealth of information that I've received as a type one, uh, well, a, a person living with diabetes. You know, I, I, it's it's something that I've built up this sort of experience level, and it's not changing that. It's not making a decision based on what I watch other people do because that's not for me. You have to build that up, and that's with every athlete and every person. You know, you got to do what's good for you what's best for you and that's something that you can't learn in a race it's something that comes from day in and day out of understanding your body working with your body and then those are those kind of sort of steps that i put in place whether it's a race or a training day it's just all the same and based on experience el diario roglich Uh, oh yeah, uh, actually I didn't really feel uh, good, but uh, yeah, at the end, uh, still managed to, to come through and uh, yeah, happy and uh, yeah, up, uh, happy that tomorrow is a rest day and then uh, up to the next week. Uh, I guess here at the top I was feeling actually better uh, a bit than uh, really on the bottom, but uh, yeah, it uh, was hard, uh, it's, a, it's a big climb. Primus, what was the plan you made this morning? Uh, yeah, to win the race, huh? <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said, I, I really didn't have the legs to do that. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, still came came through. 15 seconds or 16 seconds you've gained on Remco. Do you still take a lot of confidence from that? Uh, yeah, I mean, still better to gain 16 than lose 16. Huh? And uh, yeah, have to go with that uh, into the next week. That was, well, of course, you know who it was, the unmistakable voice of Primoz Roglic at the finish tonight. Pretty happy, within reason, not happy with how he felt today. And we sort of figured that out, didn't we, Brian? The fact that he didn't attack, that he didn't follow Enric Mass's attack, um, that he let Remco Avenapol, 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 I'm going to get hate mail again. Um, <laughs> he let Avenapol sort of marinade in the sun, didn't he? Um, he, he Remco had to do a lot of work, but Roglic had the last laugh, I suppose. Um, he gained those 16 seconds, and it's a continuation. Whatever you say, it is a continuation of the trend we saw yesterday, because let's not forget that Remco, until a few days ago, he was taking time off everyone else on every climb. Now, suddenly, he's losing it. Not a lot, but he's losing it. Yeah, I agree. But I still say, you know, when you when you think of what's left and and the fact that he's definitely not, he didn't, he wasn't in any crisis today. He was just riding his own pace and and can you know looking at whatever what he he needed to to push. And 
maybe there was initially I thought there was a bit of a poker game uh, going on because potentially Remco could just I don't think he should have like pulled that much because at one point it could have been a problem for bigger problem for Roglic that those guys were gaining time up ahead in, in my opinion I mean it wasn't it wasn't that devastating but still Mas is, is getting you know he's getting closer to to Roglic as well but I think that Roglic realized that after spending all that energy at the very foot of the Sierra Nevada, it, it probably also took its toll on him having to, you know, put in those attacks and he was leading, you know, the front group, the the favorites group at one point himself. So I think the the for the lack of tactical news that we sometimes see in, in Evenepoel, I think he did really well today. I mean it depends. But if Roglic needs to do this at least two more two successive times for the rest of the race or else he's not going to win this world to Evenepolis as uh, as much as I'm dreading to be the reverse Nostradamus Roglic has to find f- similar type of time and then put it all in in, in, the, in the second you know in the second last day uh, that's the only possible way he can win the world now I think Brian you mentioned Jumbo Visma's tactics there were questions about their tactics at the finish this afternoon and particularly yeah. their use of Rowan Dennis and Sam Oman and the, their timing of their acceleration um, in the group behind yeah. with Robert Hasink. I mean you could you, you could see what they wanted to do right they, they wanted to sort of have those two guys up front isolate Remco, have uh, Roglic uh, bridge up to those two guys up in front. And and neither of those succeeded. And that that also meant that the, the firing power or the horsepower that they had to basically explode everything at the bottom. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of riders were in trouble, but they all came back together again because nothing really came out of it in that sense. So, uh, yeah, they... I don't really see Sam Oman being at the level no, he. Uh, I think he's supposed to supposed to be to do what he, what they wanted to do today. So they probably, I think they probably should have like put in someone else. And, and clearly, Dennis wasn't at 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 particularly awesome level either. So, yeah, maybe that would, how they played their cards. The idea was great. Had it had it succeeded, it would have looked a little bit like what they tried to what they successfully did at the tour. But yeah, but you know, it's not for the, the worth of trying. It's, it's you know kudos for, 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 for the courage but the end result wasn't exactly phenomenal. Yeah, I mean it's a kind of a typical team for Primoz Roglic at this Jumbo, uh, this Vuelta Espana um, in the sense that every year um, he's he's been sent to this race with a team with some very strong riders and some riders who you've, you've felt as though um, not that they make it with the numbers, not by any stretch of the imagination, but they, they certainly would not have been in contention for a Jumbo Visma Tour de France team. And I, it's a bit no. of a mixed bag. And I think it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of form. I think with Rowan Dennis, the image that people have engraved on their or in their memory when they think of Rowan Dennis as a domestic is of him providing absolutely key assistance for Theo Gegenhardt in 2020 to win the Giro d'Italia. But I think... Maybe people forget that he was brilliant for only three or four days, and that's all it might take here. If he suddenly comes good, um, particularly you know with the time gap now, one minute 34, I was slightly concerned at the finish today when I heard so many, well, so many, there were two or three guys who, who looked ahead to next week, and there's a lot of climbing next week. There are a lot of altitude meters, but... But yeah, the climbs, but, are, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of five and six percent climbs, and there were a lot of guys saying the next big stage is next Saturday, and um, the Navacerada stage. Yeah. Now there's a there's a long tradition of the Vuelta a España being being decided in yes in the Sierra de Guadarrama, north of Madrid, Navacerada, um, and it could happen again. And Primoz Roglic will hope it's going to happen again. But when I heard what the riders think of the coming week and the stages that Primoz Roglic has at his disposition, disposal, sorry. It's not, hard, it's not enough. hard enough. It's not hard enough. Well, I think there's also, maybe he even underestimated it because the, the typical approach, uh, if it, I guess if it weren't for the president of, of Evenepoel, would be that he would have picked up some stage wins. You know, all the breakaways have, have, have taken care of the of the stages here. So basically the only one who really profited from the bonus seconds today was Enric Mas. And usually Roglic would have, you know, Roglified here and mm. there and had at least maybe 30, 40 seconds to his name uh, from, well, from those. Well, yesterday as well, Brian, you know, could it, that could easily, uh, yeah. maybe the, 
Roglic on absolutely top form would have turned that into 20 seconds. He would have caught Carapaz and he would have yeah. won the stage. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so things like that will, could... I mean, imagine that Roglic will be 20 seconds short of, of winning this, this world. So that, and that, I think that might very well be the case. If, if he takes a little bit of time in, in, in the first part of, of next week and he tries to take and, and successfully takes half a minute on Navasarada, but then it'll, he'll just come up short. And I, it's not that I think that he didn't ride a time trial to his usual level. It's just that when Remco is there and, and does the best time trial for him, which has to be then one of the best time trials ever written in the Grand Tour, then he's going to come up short. Even if, if Roglic is at his, his typical, relatively typical welter level, it's, it's just, he, he, I think he didn't factor in the fact that Evan Paul, Earl Neider to die, I guess, would be, would be that good because he, he, he impressed me today. He really did. Brian, talk to me about our stage winner because you in the past have been brutal in your judgment of Team DSM. Have you not? <laughs> I was, well, didn't you? Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, didn't well, I'm you not, once? I'm not. Didn't you I'm, once? I call it the Bermuda yeah, Triangle. I think you also likened them to the DDR. Have you not? The former socialist um, regime in East Germany. Yeah, and Scientology. I think was well, the last one well. as well. Cancellation coming for Nygaard. <laughs> I'm disassociating. I'm disassociating no, myself the, from yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, I, w I was actually thinking about that when I was looking up uh, Arnsman and his, his contract expires uh, at the end of the season. He's going so to Ineos. I think I'll, I'll need, you'll need to, so you'll need to, you'll need to hold judgment. Is, yes, is he, yes, is he definitively continues. Brian, yeah. Well, off, well, off he goes. Then that just goes to show this guy. He's got you know he's got no future there. He re he realized probably a long time ago. Well, I mean, I, it, I'm astonished that someone. Uh, Almost like yeah, he's what one ninety two. He's he's a tall fella, but he's so young, and he's just. I think it's been one of the revelations, big revelations of of this world. So very very impressive, and really race smart as well. You know, he's he, often I think you judge a rider for how well they they come back after crisis in a hard stage and then still able to win. So there's definitely a good racing head on him as well. Consistently good throughout the year, I suppose. But this has been a real breakthrough. I mean, he only won his his first World Tour stage uh, in, uh, in in Tour Pologne, didn't he? Not, yeah, not that long he's ago. been looking pretty promising for quite a while. In fact, he first came to a lot of people's attention in the Vuelta in 2020, the COVID Vuelta, when in the stage to Sabine Yanigo, um, he was third. And who won that day? I think it was Tim Wellens on an uphill finish. And he was in a really good break that year, re uh, that day, a real quality break. But since then, you know, he's been consistent and well, he's progressed pretty quickly to the point where DSM don't have a lot of big stars, don't have a lot of, Galacticos, but this year he has been very much one of their leaders, pretty much wherever he has raced. And well, it'd be interesting to see what. Sorry, but, I mean, uh, no, I, I mean, I'm not trying to defend myself with my rather gruesome characteristic of DSM. But the fact, I mean, this guy came out of the Sec Racing Academy, so he's he's not been under the radar for a, a Dutch-based team at all at any point. And the f and the fact that they can't hold on to a kid like that, I think that's that's pretty severe. You know, I think sometimes it's also when I often hear sort of in out of quote that as soon as you try to push a little bit for wanting to, you know, f for a team to f for them to focus on one rider and, and basically give them the career opportunity that they deserve, they sort of very they have this way of wanting or insisting on treating everyone equal. And I don't think that you can run a pro team by by that philosophy because everyone is not. You know, here you have one of the most shining talents to come out of Dutch cycling for a long time, and the fact that they can't hold on to him, I would be extremely disturbed if if I if I were them. Just to play, yes, yes, and I think I mean, look, what is said and what is thought about them and the fact that they've lost so many big riders over the few last few years is not lost on them. No, you know, they follow, they're aware of the discourse about their methods and well, often they've defended them in the, in the press. What I would say is that I think they punch above their weight in, in terms of, well, if you look at their wage bill or you imagine what their wage bill must be, they're an awful lot. They've got a high proportion of first and second year professionals. And it would be it would be easy for them to well to be battling relegation in the same way that 
Lotto Sudal, Israel Premier Tech are. And they haven't been troubled. Part of that is due to the fantastic season they had in 2020 um, and the fantastic Tour de France they had. And they've lost Mark Hirschi, who was a you know, major reason for that brilliant Tour de France. But... The, Son Crow, yes. Son Crow, who won two but stages. The, 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 ran, away, ran away screaming, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but the, the, floor, the <laughs> Anyways, floor hasn't yeah. sort of fallen out of the bottom of the boat, you know? No. No, no, that's no. For, that goes, uh, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I was more. We were talking specifically about Tom and Arnsman, and if I were a Dutch team manager on a Dutch team, and here you have the real revelation, and the fact. I mean, even for him wanting to go to uh, Ineos, I know he's still young, a lot to learn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but what kind of privilege are they going to give him? I mean, I'm sure they're going to throw significant money at him. But what what are his chances there to become a real GC? A GC rider, which, which he's become during this world time. I should say as well that I don't think Ineos have announced that signing, but it has been widely reported. I may be wrong about that. They may have announced it. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. And thank you for Science and Sport rescuing me a bit today because Simon Gill and I rode the tour of the Cornfields, which is a 103-kilometre, mostly off-road sportive, which starts in Cambridgeshire and straddles four counties. And, well, I got my fueling strategy wrong. It wasn't entirely my fault because I do think I've become pretty good at fueling for a four- or five-hour ride. Um, but sometimes the circumstances make it hard to keep topped up. And that was definitely the case today because the course was rough and rutted. There was lots of single track. There were cracks in the surface to look out for, tree roots to avoid. And it wasn't easy to take the hands off the bars and reach for a drink or reach into my back pocket for something to eat. And so I couldn't stick to my routine of little and often. And I certainly knew as the second half of the ride wore on after the feed stop that I hadn't got it quite right. And so I was relying on a few beta fuel chews and a glug of drink whenever we got to a road section or stopped at a junction. Uh, but really the thing that got me through the final hour was a, an emergency gel, which I ate when we stopped uh, when Simon was plugging the hole in his tubeless tire. Um, the gel got me through the last hour really and so I was very grateful to Science in Sport um, as ever Science in Sport offers cycling podcast listeners 25% off at scienceinsport.com with the discount code SISCP25 El ritmo de la vuelta The rhythm of the vuelta this is El Ritmo de la Vuelta, our gazpacho fueled paso doble into the colourful dis discography of the Vuelta a España, our feet tapping, our hearts thudding to the guiltily infectious Latin-infused beat. Brian, today we're going back 12 short months for no other reason than I thought last year's official anthem was an absolute banger. The song was performed by a group from Burgos, venue for the race's Gran Salida. They were called La Moda, an acronym for La Maravillosa Orquestra del Alcohol, the Marvelous Alcohol Orchestra. Quiet, Brian. You can have your say in a second. And the song's name was 1932. Javier Guillén, the race director, said the choice of song reflected La Vuelta's desire to appeal to a younger, more hip audience. Its title and nostalgic lyrics also harked back to the decade of the Welter's birth, while La Moda's sound has been likened to Mumford and Sons. The race started, as we said, in Burgos with 2019 and 2020 champion Primoz Roglic, the overwhelming favourites, having crashed out of the Tour de France, but then won the Olympic time trial. He started by roglifying the prologue and immediately taking the Mayotte Morojo, only to lose it to Ryan Taramay on Picon Blanco. The lead then passed to King Kenny, Elisande and Roglic again for four days before odd Christian Eiking of Intermarché lowered himself into the throne thanks to a long-range breakaway on the stage to Rincón de la Victoria. 
That day, Roglic attacked alone, only to crash on the descent to the finish, dust himself off and coin one of his seminal Roglicisms. No risk, no glory, huh? It proved to be the most nervous moment of the Slovenians of Welter. Indeed, he emphatically demonstrated his superiority with a solo win at the Lagos de Covadonga and then extended his victory margin to over four minutes by winning the final day time trial in Santiago de Covadonga. Superman Lopez really ought to have stood on the podium with him, but he had left the Vuelta in a huff midway through the penultimate stage in Galicia. This left Enric Mas to take second and the Australian Jack Haig third. Brian, have you ever had a Superman Lopez moment? Ever left the Vuelta in a huff? <laughs> I've left the, the Vuelta actually once, uh, I remember mid-race, because back in uh, 2003, I believe it was, Jan Rees had a vineyard in Luca, and uh, oh God, I had, yeah, I helped him organize harvest with a, uh, a brilliant Swiss enologist from the central part of Chianti. Uh, he was in charge of a place called Isole Olena. So we actually oh, went back, yeah, know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we actually went back from the world and uh, and did harvest, uh, and then went to as a harvest in Tuscany, and then went back to the race, yeah. Harvest was early, as you know, 03 was a very warm year. This was very clearly before the era of marginal gains in professional cycling. Um, yeah, that was all lost Lam- in us back then. Yes, <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Brian, La Maravillosa Orquestra del Alco, the marvellous alcohol orchestra. It sounds like one of your dinner parties. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, speaking of, of, of dinner, how is the, how is the, how is the vegan world doing? And is, that, is, it, is, it, is it at all possible? Um, no, it's not really possible. It's not really possible. Lots of hamon, hamon serrano. So, so are you? Uh, I, 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 but that's the second tier level, though. I have to, I have to say, are you having any of the real iberico, like the proper, yeah, the good stuff? Yeah, 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 I am, I am, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not terribly enthused. Um, last night there was, there, there was what threatened to be a vegetarian dish, but there's always some kind of sprinkling of hamon on top. Um, that's not vegetarian even, at all then it's, no no sometimes not even mentioned on the on the menu um, sometimes oh it just feels as though someone is out there to thwart me Brian I don't but know I guess this is like uh, have, like ordering the vegan risotto and then it's made with chicken broth it is it is it is but ham on but, um, ham on is a big feature of the world it, it, it's certainly all, it's always been for me I was lucky to work with one of the most prolific famous and and with the longest tenure of any mechanic on the world tour Alejandro Toralbo I I think a couple of years ago he did his 40th can you believe that you and I both have like a a, a, probably a chocolate watch for doing 20 tours but this it's 40 waltzers yeah so he had really great connections uh, for for good Iberico and by the time we got to Madrid this was in the CSC days there was some 15 if not more big legs of Iberico swinging next to the time trial bikes in, in the mechanic's truck. And then we all uh, picked them up, you know, and, and, and paid uh, Alejandro uh, and brought them back as, as odd-sized luggage because uh, they were, like, not that easy to put into the suitcase. And I remember having to order, like, a specific rack from this restaurant shop uh, in Luca set me back like a ton of money and you know I, I was look watching youtube teach yourself to cut a berico properly and yeah i and i was living alone at the time <laughs> so that the poor berico went quite stale before before i was done with it but yeah i i, I really like a good berico i think it's actually superior to to the Palmerham that we have here i could just picture if, if you ever get back into team management brian which i don't think you will um, based on conversations Cor- we've, had, we've had in the last couple of years. Um, if you ever do, I, I can picture, I can visualize now, you know how the team buses, particularly at the Tour de France, they have all the lions, you know, if they've had a yellow, uh, rider in the yellow jersey for a few days, they have the lions um, lined up on the front windscreen. I can imagine your team bus having ha- about 10 Hamoni Bericos hanging. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, it goes to, it goes, I need to say also, as much as Flavio Beck and I disagreed on, which was 99.9% of everything, we did agree on having a a built-in wine fridge in the rider's bus, uh, sorry, truck where they were eating. There there was a a proper wine fridge in there. That was the one, (laughs) the one thing that we famously agreed on without having any, any loud arguments. So there was a, a pretty decent proper wine fridge in the, 
in the well, dining truck in at Leopard Trek. Get the impression that we're scratching around for things to talk about because I don't know. Um, I missed part of the race today. They would be absolutely right because I did take a bit of a detour this morning, a deliberate one, I must add. Um, I did some tourism, Brian. Um, we haven't done, yeah, we you. haven't done, we haven't gone sort of off piste at all so far in this Vuelta a España. And uh, so I decided to do it. I decided, because we were staying in Granada, to visit what is Spain's most popular tourist attraction. I wonder what people generally would guess is Spain's most popular tourist attraction. I could tell you that it is the Alhambra, which, well, we're going to hear more about it in a second, but it's a sort of part palace, part citadel part nightclub, part country club um, for, well, post-13th century Muslims because when the Muslims um, conquered the south of Spain or a large part of Spain, they, their influence, their empire stretched up to way up to Pamplona and they built what was essentially a city uh, and it, it was a sultanate, in fact, uh, ruled by the Al-Nazri dynasty, Al-Nazrid sultanate, um, up just above the what is now the sort of main city of Granada, um, overlooking that. And it's a really beautiful place. As I, as I said, there are palaces, there are gardens, um, there's a... I think there's even a Parador. There is, there's a Brian, there is, too, isn't there? a sort of fortress-like structure. And it really is a must for anyone who spends any time in Granada. So we were in Granada last night. And, um, well, this brings us to today's Encuentro del Día. I enlisted the help of an expert, uh, Vanessa Hernandez. She works as a guide at the Alhambra. She knows everything about it, everything about Granada. And she was the perfect person to give me and give you, the Cycling Podcast listeners, a vicarious guided tour this morning. So, well, take it away, Rob Hatch. And, well, let's go to Granada. El Encuentro del Día. The meeting of the day. So, I made it to the Alhambra and I'm here with our guide today. Her name is Vanessa and she's from Granada, am I yes, correct? Yes, I am. Yes. And Vanessa, you're a guide here of the, well, at the Alhambra. Just tell those who don't know, who haven't been to Granada, what is the Alhambra? So the Alhambra was a real war city. 45. Al Alhambra, I should pronounce the H. That's okay. Alhambra is the Arab word, okay, yeah. because we have the H in middle and it's coming from Arabic. But in Spanish, we don't pronounce it. This is because you can say Alhambra or Alhambra, okay? And so, what's the city? It was founded in the 13th century by the Muslims, okay? So, that was the last Muslim kingdom in Spain, okay? And that lasted till 1492, when it was conquered by the Catholic monarchs. In what we call the Reconquista, no? That's yeah. what we refer to as the Reconquista, the period during which the Catholics took over the uh -huh. south of Spain again. Exactly, that was Reconquista. And the Alhambra, well, today it's open to the public. Um, it consists of palaces, which we're yeah, about we to the visit. Fortress, where we are, the, the residential area where the Sultans lived. They had also people's quarter where the rest of the people lived inside of the Alhambra. And also they had the summer palace outside of the walls nearby the Alhambra, that, where they could stay on holidays, but not far away from here because they could lose the throne. And they also made beer here. There's a cerveza called the Alhambra. <laughs> <laughs> what was before? The cerveza, the beer of the city. I don't know. I think that there was an easier, an easy name to call a beer and was... So, you know, when you drink a beer of Alhambra, you have to know where is the city. So this is something commercial, you know. <laughs> so Alhambra, uh, Alhambra is, the, it is the beer of Granada because you have yeah. Cruz Campo in Sevilla, yeah. but everyone here drinks Alhambra. Yes. So um, we'll just, just tell people who aren't here with us and who can't see this extraordinary, almost 360 degree view of, well, Andalusia and the Sierra Nevada behind it. Why should they visit the... Alhambra. Because this is one of the most visited monuments in Spain, the best part, one of the best preserved in the world, because this is Muslim architecture built in Europe. Okay, so it's not easy to find a Muslim city in Europe as well preserved as the Alhambra. Al-Andalus. And from that word coming, Andalusia. 
And every, so every place then with Al in the name in Andalusia is coming from Arabic. At 1492 was the Christian conquest of the city by the Catholic swoners. Alhambra, Albaitin. Them. Um, but Al-Andalus wasn't occupied the whole country. Of course, there were a lot of battles and wars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sierra Nevada. Okay. Then, the highest peak in, in the Sierra Nevada mountains is called... Moo something. <laughs> Moo something. Yeah. Moo I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and Moo is coming from the name of a sultan who was called Muley Hassan. Muley okay. hmm? Hassan was ruling the Alhambra in 1480. Hmm? So the legend said that when, that when he died, he wanted to be buried at the top of the peak. And this is because they call it Mulathing. Okay, Muley okay? Hassan, Mulathing. And was he buried up there? We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll look for him later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can do that. And then, so he was ruling the Alhambra. Well, well, Brian, that was certainly very enjoyable, extremely enlightening. And, well, have you ever been to the Alhambra? I, yeah, I have. I actually went when I was a student. I think the first time I saw Alhambra was in 99. And then every time the world has been anywhere near, I've, I've, I've taken the time to go and, and revisit. It's, I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's absolutely astonishing. And even if you think of the time it was built in and, and, and everything that's gone into you know, figuring out such a magnificent construction, it, it's just awe-inspiring. And you know, the Muslims brought in a lot of new things to, to the Iberic Peninsula, you know, from science, art, agriculture, and, and things like that. So it's, it's just a... I think it's potentially... I, th I think it, it was a nice surprise to me. I didn't know that it was the most visited Spanish uh, tourist attraction, and I'm happy that it is. These were, these were amazing architects. They were amazing engineers, incredible agricultural um, growers. So, I mean, this is just the, the peak of what they did when they were... I mean, I think the rain in, 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 in the Spanish peninsula was, what, some 700 years? And uh, yeah, I, I yeah. So, I mean, they arrived in Cordoba was pretty much the first place they took, and then well, the Nasrid dynasty, so the the rulers of Granada, they were the last Muslim did dynasty you, in the Iberian Peninsula until 1492. They were did uh, Vanessa take you to the Generalife, the the summer palace? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Stunning, stunning. Which remind me of your of one of your. One of your haciendas <laughs> sprinkled around the world. If only, if only, if only. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's said PK to remind me to tell you about our clothing partnership with MAP, which began this year. And not long now until the dot jersey and the rest of the cycling podcast MAP collection is available due to go on sale worldwide from September the 20th. Now, of course, the jersey, Dot, was one of three that MAPS designer Misha Glisevich came up with uh, to reflect the changing eras of cycling jersey design. And it was voted for by you, our listeners. Well, not all of you, I admit, because uh, it was a keen contest between the three jerseys, although Dot was the clear winner. And the Dot jersey is being produced now and it will be added to the rest of the collection, which includes matching bib shorts, a cycling cap, socks, and water bottle, and, as I say, it will go on sale worldwide from September the 20th. The collection is being produced in exclusive quantities, so to make sure you don't miss out and to get a notification of precisely when the collection goes on sale in your region, go to map.cc to sign up for the newsletter and get a heads up. That's M-A-A-P.cc. Now, I was out riding in Cambridgeshire 
predominantly and the other counties at the tour of the cornfields crisscrosses today and I was once again resplendent in my map clothing as you would expect and I know I've talked about this I've sung the praises of the long sleeve summer weight jersey the pro of aid jersey and uh, well it came into its own again today because the sleeves offered me a little bit of protection from the overhanging brambles once or twice at least once or twice got uh, struck on the arm by uh, a, a thorny bramble and uh, the jersey took the brunt rather than my skin and I'm happy to say the jersey stood up to the test as well no holes no rips um, so yeah a, a really nice jersey to wear the uh, the long sleeve pro evade it might sound counterintuitive to wear on a warm day but it was cool enough um, it didn't feel like wearing a long sleeve jersey really it was more like a second skin to check out the whole map collection, go to map.cc. La etapa de mañana, la cena de ayer. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's food. So, Brian, la cena de ayer in Granada, which incidentally, I should have mentioned, I learned all sorts of things about Granada today on our visit to the Alhambra, but I learned, and actually if I'd stopped to think about it, I would have known this already, Granada, the name comes from pom- pomegranate. Uh, granat, granat is the, sort of the, the stem, the root of the word in Latin. And there, were, there used to be a lot of pomegranate trees around Granada. So, hence... But I think that, but that was one of the, the fruits that the, that the Muslims brought with them from, from Northern Africa, actually. I think you may be right. No, I think you are right. I think you are right. Brian, last night, what did I have for dinner? Well, I said that I had been ordering dishes which flirted dangerously with the actual vegetarianism. And thus it was last night. I had some sort of layered aubergine with cheese, goat's cheese and tomato. And then for my next dish, I had um, alcachofas, which is an... uh, an Arabic name. They came from Northern Africa and they are known in English as what they're known as artichokes. Artichokes. But of course there was some there's some lovely there was some lovely <laughs> ham on Iberico sprinkled on top, which I didn't ask for, but which came anyway. Ryan, let's look ahead to next week. Let's look look ahead to Tuesday first of all. What have we got coming on Tuesday? Yeah, so on Tuesday we have a 189 kilometers stage it's uh, from San Luthar de Barameda to Tomares it's a flat stage there's a few little bumps um, some let me see 10 kilometers from the finish but nothing that's going to stand in the way I think of a, of a bunch sprint and another good possibility I believe for Mats Peterson to win a second and stage and then Brian we mentioned the fact that next week doesn't look the most onerous in La Vuelta a España which has to be that statement has to be tempered and caveated with the fact that of course it is the third week and there'll be a lot of tired riders in the bunch and also with what i said early in tonight's program tonight's episode tonight's podcast that there is nonetheless a lot of climbing next week it may not be the steepest and there's no and there's no time trial and i think that goes that's that's pretty that's that's pretty significant after um tuesday's stage we have got yeah, so there's an up, up, there's an uphill finish on uh, on Wednesday, but it's not. I mean, it's a lump, it's a lumpy ride to get there, but it's a relatively short stage, and the and the last climb is, and there are a lot having too many of those climbs at the last week of this year's Vuelta. Of those, you mentioned it as well initially, those five to six percent gradient climbs, which, as we all know, it's it's a lot. You can you can you can sock wheel. On uh, on those types of climbs and and it's it's difficult to make any difference. There's a few harder parts of the one at the finishing climb on Wednesday, but nothing that I think would concern Evenepoel and and nothing that necessar- that would necessarily give Roglic any other possibility than potentially taking bonus seconds, which I I think he kind of has uh, to. Brian, if we were a pair of experienced director sportifs and not a pair of oiks who know very little about cycling and only a little bit about wine um rather more <laughs> in your case um which of these stages if you had to choose one stage if you were in the Jumbo visma car and you had to choose one stage for an ambush a surprise attack where would you place that attack i would go for stage 18 i think it would i think it would 
Stage 18, yeah. Trujillo to Alto del Piornal. It's there's there are two significant climbs that day. There's a penultimate climb. Yeah. Um, well, it's the it's the same climb twice effectively. It's the Alto del Piornal. It's 13.6 kilometers um, at five percent, so not steep. But yeah, they go up it twice in the last sort of. Um, let's just look here. The last 40 kilometers of the race or last 50 kilometers of the race, there are two ascents of that. Um, and it's an, it's an uphill finish, uh, an altitude, a high altitude finish, 1,163 meters. And, that's, that's, and, the, and the, first, the first climb on that stage, it's actually mid-stage and it's super steep. So it could be also a place where, you, where they could put a little bit of pressure on and try to isolate him already and then, then go all in on the last two ascents of, um, of the final climb. But it's, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. Like I said the other day, even before um, he lost time, that with the gap, he, he, I mean, it's reduced now, but he's, he still needs to be in, in a real crisis or else it's, I think with, even if Roglic does take bonus seconds here or there, I, I don't think it's enough. He really needs to have a, a big old crack at, uh, at putting him under pressure. And as much as he tried today, it doesn't look like, it looks like he's actually back on, on where he used to be the, the day before yesterday. So and then it's not it's costly to do an ambush attack because the person who wants to bet hark the sound of Nostradamus changing his tune. Mm, well, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I was trying to say why I wasn't necessarily a believer in an ambush attack. I think if I was sports director, I would try and have Roglic take some of those bonus seconds and then and then go all in on on the um, on the Navasarada. I mean that's I mean. Wasn't that where Aru turned things to his way? Yes, it was. Uh, when he actually in eventually won the race 15. in what was that? Fourteen. Yeah. Fifteen. Sorry. Um, so if, yeah, taking if he's if Roglic is capable of taking twenty seconds before the start of uh, of the penultimate stage, it's all going to be down. I mean, there's there's a significant amount of climbing in the last 50 kilometers of that stage. So that, that's, that's, I think that's his only way to win the race. Well, Brian, no Fram Reyes tonight, so we haven't got him to gaze wistfully. I'm gazing slightly wistfully out the window of the press room where, well, we're, as I said at the start of the episode, we're two or three kilometers below the summit. I'm still about 2,000 meters above sea level and I've got a gorgeous view out towards, well, Cabo de Gata, I suppose. I mean, I'm looking in that direction and where we were a few days ago, Almeria, to the edge of the Mediterranean. It really is a, uh, an extraordinary location up here. It feels like you've left the solar system and you're in a different galaxy, Brian, up here. Um, it, it's very otherworldly. As you, are clo- you are closer to the next galaxy, yes, even yes. if it's just a fraction. And you know? <laughs> as people probably saw on TV, it is quite something up here. Brian, I think that just about concludes the night, not only the night, but the week's entertainment. I have to go back to Granada now for an evening meal that will no longer feature jamón ibérico sprinkles. Um, and, well, I'm looking forward to a rest day tomorrow. There'll probably be some laundry. I might even sprinkle some jamón ibérico on my laundry um, for a little <laughs> bit of extra, a little pinch of extra authenticity at this Vuelta a España. Um, but, Brian, it, it, um, it's that time of the evening where I... I'm going to thank you. Um, I'm going to inform the listeners that you will be back next week. We haven't, still haven't firmed up the schedule for next week, but you're, you're definitely going to feature at some point, as will Lucky Larry Warbass. Um, the rest of our Motley crew will also be, well, hopefully all of them, Ian Boswell, Nicholas Van Loy, and Rob Hatch. They'll all be dipping in and out. So that is, well, it's going to be a grand, we had a grand salida to this Vuelta a España, and um, hopefully we're going to have a grand finale as well. Brian, well, I was, I'm going to wish I, you... <laughs> sorry, can I just interrupt you? Because I was actually planning to come and see you in Madrid just to gloat in case Evnepol doesn't win the Vuelta. The, my, my problem is now that I think if he doesn't, I, we won't know until the last, basically the last night, uh, the second last night, sorry, on, on the stage uh, before Madrid. So I, I don't know how logistically I'm going to... I might have to buy the ticket and then wait to see if I'm going to go or not. But I guess I can gloat over a, a, a video call as well, if if so. I just want my I, I want to vi- be the, the real Nostradamus, not the not the reverse one. I have visions of you. You you wear that um, the Salt Bay buffoon. What I can't remember what his name is. The the chap that's 
sprinkle salt on extremely expensive yes. overpriced Yeah, don't compare me to him. I have, I have visited you adopting his pose <laughs> and, and sprinkling and, and sprinkling ham on Iberico. Um, and on and like your five-course dinner. Gloat, <laughs> yeah, on some kind of gloating video message around this time next week. So um, look forward to that. Brian, I'm going to wish you, I'm going to wish you a lovely evening. And um, we'll speak next week. Thank you and to you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.